Friends, here is our world, and here's another year. Such beautiful and hard things have happened and will happen. Let us keep our hearts tender. Oh my gosh, pretty please. We, I'm just going to keep it brief this morning. We cannot do everything, because you're going to hear a lot of stories here, but we can do. And that's something that's not nothing. So here in this new year, let us forget our perfect what? There's a crack in everything. That is how the light gets in. So it is, it is January, in case you're not sure what month it is yet. I mean, the kids went back to school on Thursday, and it's like, what day of the week is it right now? I've, you can probably hear it. I've had this cold that's just like, will stay on forever. Um, for as long as I've been your minister, the second, first or second Sunday in January, I've reviewed the top 10 religious news stories of the last year. We've all listened to a lot of these. I mean, like 16 or something. Said one of you in a text to me on Friday, a couple, just a couple days ago, I was like, I'm researching the sermon. And you said in capital letters, UGH! <laughs> and then I replied back, oh no, no, not just the year, the entire decade. <laughs> and then you didn't reply back to me for a while. because maybe you felt as overwhelmed as I did. But then you eventually you did. I was in Target, and uh, you said, okay, maybe it will at least help us get some 2020 vision back. That's pretty good. <laughs> I said, I'm going to use that. You, she said, I'm sure you've already thought of it. I said, no, no, no. I'm going to use that. But I, I want to meet us where we're at with the UG. Okay, I do, because I, I feel it. And um, because the, the, the news has been intense, it's intense. And it's felt ever more intense over the decade. And I think part of the reason is because our exposure to the news is intense. Via every second updates on our phones and our, you know, Twitter and Facebook and newsfeed. And it's made us all a little googly-eyed. <laughs> like, you know those glasses where the eyes are like... Whoosh. Like, we have no vision because we're just like, ugh, is, is, how, is how I feel. So, so why bother with the doing this? I mean, it's a fair question. And my answer is that, um, first of all, we have forgotten a lot of what has happened. I know I did. And in order for us to figure out who we are and who we've become, we have to figure out what has shaped us into what we've become. And particularly in order for us to get a sense of the future, we have to know where we've been, I believe. So that's why I love, great, great job on the song. That's why I love this song because it, um, I mean, this plaintive cry to come on everybody, get together, is one that we still need to hear. I mean, we really need to hear. 
So here are the top 10 stories, themes, religious and otherwise, that I have spent the last few days rabbiting down the internet. If I look haggard, you know why, you're welcome. <laughs> are we hydrated? Where's my water? Are you as comfortable as you're going to get in your pews? <laughs> Are you mindful of a free pew, which you have? You get to disagree with what I say. That's the point. It's what being in community is about. You don't have to accept everything that the minister says. I mean, many of you don't have that issue, but <laughs> I, just want to, I just want to claim it. All right, so let's roll. Number 10, a little child shall lead them. This comes from Isaiah, by the way. You heard it at Christmas if you were here. The scripture says a wolf will lie with the lamb and a leopard with the goat and a little child shall lead them. Meaning children often show us courage, conviction, and vision that adults don't have. Not all the time, of course, because toddlers. We romanticize kids too much, I think. But these young people led. Say after me, Lala, Malala. Malala. Do you remember her? Yeah. All right. Pakistani girl, in 2009, she wrote a blog for BBC that challenged the Taliban's prohibitions against girls getting educated. And then she was shot by the Taliban as a consequence of that. She survived, and then she gave this incredible talk at the... UN, you can see it on YouTube. So much of what I talk about today you can see on YouTube. And she gave an interview to Jon Stewart, who I desperately miss on TV. And then in 2014, she became the youngest person ever to receive what? That's right. Meanwhile, in Topeka, Kansas, in the year of our Lord of 2012, Joseph Miles, he's 10, woke up, put his y'all vote shirt t-shirt on and he pulled out his Mead school notebook you know the one with the wires and he flipped past the algebra to a clean page and he wrote God hates no one and like a sharpie and then he went with his mom to stand with his homemade sign in front of the Westboro Baptist Church people whose anti-LGBTQ hate gives Baptist and church a bad and Westboro a bad name said Yosef, I don't like seeing those signs and I just kind of wanted to put a stop to it. Six years later, after another school shooting, this time in Parkland, Florida, these young survivors led the largest gun control movement in the country. Alfonso, Sarah, Jaceleen, Ryan, Emma, David, Cameron, and Alex. Do you remember those kids? They're in college now. And last, of course, um, Catherine, you said to me up in the pulpit, Greta Thunberg, you said you called her the Joan of Arc of our time, the Swedish environmentalist activist who at the age of 15, she left school on a Friday and she went with her sign outside Swedish parliament to call for stronger action on global climate, warming, climate change. 
And soon other kids began to hold similar conferences or similar protests in their communities and they organized a school strike movement called Fridays for Future. And then in 2019, she took a boat. We saw her take a boat across the ocean to the UN Climate Change Action Summit and then she got in Twitter fights with Trump. <laughs> Everybody gets in Twitter fights with Trump. She made the cover of Time Magazine, which named her the next generation leader, and she was named for the Nobel Peace Prize. Describing her Asperger's as an asset for her activism, Greta said this to Democratic senators, I know you're trying, but just not hard enough. Sorry. Number nine, evangelicals and nuns wrestle in a cage fight match for the future. <laughs> Terms first. When I say the word evangelize, many of you kind of go, whoa. But it just means to spread the good news. But the reason that you go, whoa, is because you hear in the word evangelical, which is code to mean conservative Christianity. And that often aligns with pro-life, anti-lesbian and gay and transgender people, literal interpretation of the Bible, all that stuff. No, nuns, you're thinking, N-U-N? No, that's not in a cage match with the evangelicals. That would be interesting, but that's not what I'm, I'm talking about. <laughs> N-O-N-E-S, who described themselves as having like no religious affiliation at all. Over the last decade, both have risen to power. In 2016, the evangelical identification with the GOP has like completely been, there's just no difference practically between them. After they voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, overlooking how his behavior contra contradicted their once upon a time family values. Do you remember that? And they did this because Trump, of course, promised to get anti-abortion judges on the Supreme Court, which he has done. Not all evangelicals have been happy about this, just so you can remember to have some diversity in your perspective. Christianity Today, which is the biggest evangelical publication just in a couple weeks ago, published a pro-impeachment editorial. Twitter rage followed. In direct response to the conservative politics of evangelicals has risen nuns, many of whom are white millennials, who, you know what, to see all this and see the hypocrisy and have watched the Catholic church sexual abuse scandal and just go, you know what, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm going to go, like, hang in a coffee shop. In 2012, 15% of U.S. adults described themselves as having no religious affiliation. In today, this morning, more than a quarter of the country does. Now, other colleagues of mine are super nervous. Job security. <laughs> I'm fired up. I think 
Look, we have a big tent. We're, we're sometimes bad at this, but we have a big tent theology. We have classic rock. <laughs> you, don't, you don't hear messages of hate here. Like, those, those people need to know that we're here, okay? So, like, just imagine me on bend a knee, my friends. Evangelize this religious tradition. Evangelize it. Tell people about it because we're doing such, we need to be in community together in these times. We need each other. And I'm afraid no one knows that we're here. In general, invite someone with you to worship. That's what you can do. Okay. Number eight, phobia everything. Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, shootings every other week, it seems like, in sanctuaries. What the hell is going on? I mean, this is where, this is like with a rabbit hole. I just broke my heart when I started going down this path. Because as soon as I remembered one example, it led me to another. You know how the, like, your news feed does that or your Google does that? If you like this, you might like this. 2012, a pro-Nazi killed six people in a Sikh Gurdwara outside Milwaukee. And then I was reminded when I read about that, about Dylan Roof, who killed nine African-American people in the congregation in Charleston, claiming to defend the white race, which then pointed me to the white supremacist march in Charlottesville in 2017, where marchers chanted, Jews will not replace us. And Trump said, there are good people on both sides. I mean, we forget that, like, we don't forget it, but, like, we forget it. Which then pointed me to the worst anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Eleven people were killed. Which then led me back to Trump's rhetoric of, on immigration and policies over this last year, including how he made suspicion of Muslims a theme of his campaign. He tweeted out, like, you know, um, first of all, he banned all these, you know, people immigrating from Muslim countries. And then he tweeted out these anti-Muslim videos. He retweeted them, which then pointed me back to domestic terrorism, including the attacks just last week in New York at the rabbi's home where his family was celebrating Hanukkah. I mean... It's just like, it's just overwhelming. It's, it's overwhelming. And you, how the internet, with its wide open doors, has allowed these disaffected people, most of whom are white men, to find each other and to amplify their, their mental illness, their, their hate, their... You know, I was thinking that the words never forget that phrase was meant to be about the Holocaust. And I'm thinking that we kind of need to reclaim that phrase to mean here and now and this. All right, let's go a different direction. Number seven. 
Wow and woe technology. Check this out. A decade ago, there was no such thing as an iPad. There was no food delivery meal kits. You didn't speak to a machine called Alexa or Siri. You didn't find someone to date on an app called Tinder. You stayed in hotels, not Airbnbs. You telephoned a cab rather than pressing a button to wait for Uber or Lyft. You didn't waste hours on Instagram, scrolling from one box to the next like a gerbil running on a wheel. <laughs> As an algorithm takes notes. Jobs that are now performed by hundreds of thousands of people, gift maker, social media influencer, I'm trying to aspire to that, um, Uber driver, none of those existed. Maybe you read, you likely read a newspaper in the morning. And maybe you watched news at night. And you consumed a trickle of news, like in between, like on Yahoo News. And through an RSS feed, you've painstakingly constructed, rather than drinking or being blown out of your bed by Twitter. Oh, and drone warfare was not a thing. And neither were those ro robot dogs that Boston Dynamics created. Have you seen those things? They're like the stuff of nightmares. Those didn't exist. A decade ago, there was not fake news created by Russia causing, seeking to cause divide in our country and succeeding. And China had not created yet, this just happened, social credit system where you lose credits for criticizing the government or not cleaning up after your dog. True. I mean, a lot of this is terrifying. Some of it's wonderful. But can we at least say that a decade ago things felt slower? If one reason that you come to community is to find your center and to realign your values and to try to be the person you say you want to be in a world that's constantly making, trying to make us different, it is worth asking how all this technology is changing you and me. And do we like those changes? Number six, hydrated. Gay marriage becomes legal in all 50 states, and we add new words to our vocabulary. I arrived here as your minister in 2003, August. But did you know that the first wedding I did in this sanctuary was not until a couple years later? Because we don't have a center aisle, and couples want a center aisle. <laughs> they don't want to walk, I mean, I get it, they don't want to walk down, like, see you back in the center, like, in the back. <laughs> Do you know who the first wedding I did in this sanctuary was for? Jack, thank you, Sally Demler. It was Edwin Light, who was our music director at the time, and Jack Cox, his partner of like 25 years. It was amazing. It was hot. It was like July. Because in Massachusetts, gay marriage became legal in May of 2004, May 17th. I did all, I went back to my files, I did all these weddings, like in people's houses, like in living rooms. 
Gail and Marty, I did in your living room. Eleven years after that, that time, I officiated, after doing all his weddings, the Supreme Court made same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states. I mean, let's just take a step back. Like, this is kind of amazing. This is the other side of the UG, okay? It is how much public opinion has changed. It wasn't that long ago that Democratic uh, politicians, including Barack Obama, were walking this fine line and calling for civil unions. That was Obama's stance in 2008. It didn't change until 2012, when Biden, being Biden, said, we're in favor of same-sex marriage. He just said it on a stump somewhere. But in order to understand why Obama was reticent, just 40% of the country was in favor of legalizing same-sex marriage in 2009. In 2012, half were in favor. Now 65% are. Only 44% of Republicans, though. Now let's get to the T part of that, all those alphabet, those letters, LGBT, transgender, the person that followed Edwin was whom? Laura. Laura was the transgender person. This is their first job as a woman. In 2016, the Pentagon lifted the ban on transgender people serving in the military, only to have Trump reverse it on June 30th, 2017. And the Supreme Court has allowed this ban to go into effect in December, just like a month ago. But Danica Rome was the first person in the House of Delegates in Virginia to be the first openly transgender candidate to be elected by state legislators. She beat out a guy that had been in office for 25 years. Now more than 10 states offer non-binary gender designations on their licenses. And we're also learning, I am learning new words. You'll see on my byline on my email that I say, him and his. We do this because we know that the way that we think about gender has changed, that it's, that it's not preordained, that it's, that it's assigned, and it gives transgender people room to feel at home. That's why we do this. It is like our basic religious tenet that there's worth and dignity of every person. That's why we do this to think about our language, non-binary, gender non-conforming, preferred gender pronouns. I know it feels awkward, but we do it for those around us. We do it for ourselves. Okay, intermission. <coughs> I'm gonna do elbow bumps in the receiving line. Best quote of the decade from Gloria Steinem. The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> Best bumper sticker, Giant Meteor 2016 just ended already. Really? I think that was like, yeah, that still feels true, doesn't it? Best long-deserved victory, Chicago Cubs win the World Series in 2016. And I'm a Cardinals fan. That took a lot for me to put this down. Most prayed for sanctuary. 
for the repair of the flying buttressed and beautiful Notre Dame, which caught fire just last spring. Best epitaph on a headstone of a cemetery I was at. I'd rather be reading this. And rest in peace, Nelson Mandela, Muhammad Ali, Toni Morrison, Leonard Cohen, Aretha Franklin, David Bowie, Eli Wiesel, Maya Angelou, Prince. All right, number five, tenderness and grace and good news. You might not remember because you know everything else made us feel ugh, and our brains are wired to remember the bad stuff. Do you remember those miners in 2010, 33 of them, who were rescued after 69 days below ground? Do you remember the CEO of a Canadian appliance company who personally sponsored 58 Syrian families at a cost of $1.5 million because he brought them to Canada and gave them housing and gave them jobs? Do you remember the Christian Assembly Church, Evangelical, in Eagle Rock, California, that raised $5 million, their church did, to pay off the medical debt of over 6,000 families in Los Angeles? Did you see on the news Brant Jean Offer forgiveness to the former Dallas police officer, Amber. Do you see this video? Amber was convicted of murdering his brother in their apartment building. And Brant said to the judge, can I go down and talk to her? Did you see this? And he asked to give her a hug. And then the judge asked to give her a hug, caused all kinds of heated debate about forgiveness and race, but I noted it. And of course, my friends, who can forget, who remembers Jake Isom? (laughs) Oh, you'll remember, 2010. He's the UU from Amarillo, Texas. Oh yeah, who joined his Fellowship's protest have a Quran burning. And they were just going to hang back and watch, you know, just say, no, don't burn that. But this guy he dipped the Quran into oil. And Jake, being a skateboarder, gets on his skateboard and flies up behind this guy and takes the Quran out of the bucket of oil. And he said, dude, you don't have no Quran. and skated off. (laughs) I'm telling you, just type in YouTube, dude, you have no Quran, and there's like, (laughs) you can watch it happen. You can watch it happen, it's incredible. He has a mullet, he's like, he's on it, and this is 2010, so I bless you, Jake, wherever you are. Number four, Heather's gonna kill me. Number four, (laughs) I can't breathe. See, this is how it is. You see the notice like we're, 
We remember these good things and we remember a hard thing. It's just like, oh, right? But that's the world. It's been more than five years since the video of 2014 death of Eric Garner at the hands of the white New York police officer went viral and his gasps of I can't breathe, 11 of them, inspired protesters to take to the cities across the country claiming, chanting his words, I can't breathe. I found old photos and they had, you know, masking tape over his, his mouth. A few weeks later in Ferguson, Missouri, just a few miles from where I grew up in University City, Michael Brown was shot and killed by a white officer. And then the descent across the country just completely escalated. In the following years, these deaths, Tamar Rice, Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, all killed by police violence. It received national attention thanks to technology, cell phones, people seeing it with their own eyes, social media activists, all of it galvanizing to a movement that we see on a banner outside of our church saying what? All of that happened, and they led to a class that, that I did back when this happened called Building the World We Dream About. And out of that, it was a great class, but out of that class came the racial justice team here at this church who have challenged me, us, how the work of racial justice is not about getting more people of color in these pews so that we feel better about how homogenized our church is. The work of racial justice, my friends, is about noting our privilege because this, this place is it's dipped in it and it's generations, it's, it's centuries. How we live, how our towns have become completely homogenized. How whiteness is put in the center. That's literally the meaning of white supremacy. It's, it's supreme against and over other people of color. This, has, this is challenging for a church like ours. It's challenging. I feel it. You feel it. But it's important. And it is, we have the health to do it. And we have the resilience to do it. So I ask us to pay, continue. This is not yesterday's news. This is now, all of this is now news. There's a Visions for Justice workshop happening in February. The racial justice team continues to meet twice a week twice a month, pay attention to the things that they're leaning us toward. All right, seventh inning stretch. Most of you move in any song you've ever sung, ever. Wasn't the spring, and spring became the summer. Who'd have believed you'd come along? Hands, touching hands, reaching out. Touching me, touching me, sweet Caroline, ba ba ba, good times 
The concessions have closed. <laughs> All right, friends, let's move along. Uh, shout out to Dara, whose idea that was. Dara, you're awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> She's like, we'd, we'd have the ushers like bring by concessions like in little trays. <laughs> I know. All right, number three, my friends. But I don't want to welcome the stranger. I don't want to welcome the stranger. Back in 2015, Stephen Colbert said this, if you want to know if somebody's a Christian, just ask them to complete this sentence. Jesus said, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you. And if they don't say, welcome me in, they are either a terrorist or running for president. <laughs> now some of you say, I, I am, I'm a tough on Trump. I am. It's not a Republican thing or Democratic thing. To me, it's a moral thing. I'm tough on him, just to be straight up. As our world has gotten more connected and more interdependent, and as we become ever more aware of how climate change is like, it just is making us collide together in different ways and how wealth inequalities impact all of us. I keep seeing how this notion of welcoming the stranger is getting like stretched and frayed and challenged. Just listen to these. Refugee crisis in Syria, Brexit, skepticism over the European Union, Trump coming down the escalator and kicking off his campaign by saying Mexicans are rapists, George W. being denied an immigration compromise by the GOP in the 2000s, which resulted in Obama having to create the Dreamers Act in 2017 for kids who didn't have papers, and Trump, of course, saying that that would end, political populism, nationalism, political polarization, gated communities, so many strangers in our land. We don't want to venture out. We're scared of each other. Are you with me on this? I just want to ask myself and you, these are complicated, our, our laws are not caught up to what's happening on the borders of the world. They're not. So I just want to ask myself and you, what does it mean for us to frame this issue of welcoming the stranger as a religious one rather than a political one? What might change for you? Just want to ask that. Number two, pray and then move your feet. 2010s have been a decade of movements more than moments, actions and solidarity more than solo acts. Occupy movement, 2011. Black Lives Matter. National Women's March in DC, pink hats. The Me Too movement. March for Our Lives, we took like two busloads. The global climate strike this past September. 
My daughter, Ella, 16, has been to more marches and public displays of witness than I have in my entire life. Said, said Karen when talking about this sermon, my wife, she said, and Karen went to a lot of these as well. What I loved is that people stopped being alone and reached out and talked to others. She said, in the midst of anger and fear, I saw people holding each other rather than dragging each other down. My wife, the preacher. All right, friends, one more. And it's just a question. Will we hope? Because, oh my gosh, I was looking through these stories and there's a lot of fear and worry and angst and a lot of it is deserved. We are a church not of optimism but of hope. And so I just looked back at all this stuff and I was like, I mean, I got to still give sermons and I just, I'm not going to go, no good news anymore. So I want to end with these hopes for, for you and for me and for our kids, for our kids who are inheriting the world. Number one, we finally get serious about climate change. Australia's on fire. California will likely be on fire. Ice is melting. It's too late to stop it, but we can still mitigate effects and we can slow it. I mean, this is for kids. This is for those who will come after us, the people who will be in the sanctuary in the next generation. That's one hope. Another hope is that we can figure out how to be safely together in community without being fear, fearful of being shot. I mean, we can't go to stores, churches, schools, concerts. I mean, anywhere groups are gathered, we're worried. Guns are making it impossible for us to figure out how to be together in community. I'm not going to put armed guards at the back of those doors. And last, my hope is that we figure out what it means to live in diversity. Because otherwise, we're just going to be in bubbles of our own communities where we don't engage difference. I am not good at this. I like my own little Hollison town where I kind of see everybody that looks like me, like sweater vests and <laughs> Subarus and NPR, and it's awesome, you know? This, <laughs> I'm such a cliche. This is one of the issues for our time. How do we be around people who are different than we are, who vote differently, who look different? We have to get out of our bubble. It's my hope. It's my hope for you. It's hope, my hope for, for me. So, I love you. I bless you. I bless myself. Let us work on our 2020 vision. Amen?